Hello, hello. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Guy Lakata. While we kept to the traditional format in the first half of our chat, I think the topic of today's episode deserved its own place in the sun. Guy prepared Emmy award-winning actor Riz Ahmed for his role as a drummer in the Amazon Studios film Sound of Metal. He was tasked with all aspects of the drum set instruction and preparation for the role over a seven-month period. To crudely sum it up, the movie tells the story of Ruben, a touring metal drummer who experiences sudden and permanent hearing loss, and how he has to deal with the life-altering consequences that entails. Anyways, I wanted to hear all about that process and how it most certainly differs from normal instruction. I hope it goes without saying that I recommend you check out Sound of Metal. Riz was nominated for an Oscar for the role, and I think it actually won a few, including sound design. It's an incredible film, and I promise I wouldn't just say that. Unfortunately, there are a few digital dropouts with Guy's audio, but it's not that bad, and I didn't want to edit anything out because everything Guy says matters. So the first bit of audio you're going to hear is a clip from the actual movie where Ruben finds out the severity of his condition for the first time. Then we hop into the chat. All right, cheers. This is your chart, Ruben. Now, as far as the volume that you can hear, you, on your right ear, were 28%, and on your left ear, you were 24%. That's what? On the left ear, you came in at 24%. Okay. No matter how loud I made the test, I could have put it at 11, you were still going to miss 70 to 80% of the words that I said. Okay. That is not good. Yeah, I see that. So what <clears throat> What can we do about it? How do I get it back? Well, um, you have to understand something here. Whether or not this is related to your exposure to noise or it's an autoimmune issue doesn't really matter. I understand I got a problem. I'm asking you what I can do about it. Well, what you can do about it first is to eliminate all exposure to loud noises. And then we can run some tests and we can determine exactly what is going on with your ears. And if we do, then we can have our other conversations. You can have what? Well, there are implants that bypass the cochlea. You said implants? Yes. Those work? People with severe hearing loss or complete deafness, yes, they help. Well, then let's do that. <laughs> well. It's not that simple. Uh, it's a very involved process, and it's quite costly. How much is it? Well, they can run between forty and $80,000, depending, and they are not covered by insurance. Okay. And, um, like, when, when can you do it? You got them in stock now? Mr. Stone, your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. Am I right? And over the next few days, or even hours, it's going to continue. And the hearing that you have lost is not coming back. Yeah, so you prepared Emmy Award-winning actor Riz Ahmed for his role in uh, in Sound of Metal. So how did that situation come to fruition? Okay, that and you know, as I mentioned, this is like four years ago now. Yeah. So and I've talked about it so much, you know, it, um, at the time and 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 through that. But it's funny, like as we talked about in the last episode, the timeline gets gets fuzzy. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but um, so how it started was I got a 
a DM from Adam Betts, uh, who we know and love. Oh, yeah. And he was basically like, hey, I'm, I'm training this actor in the UK uh, for a, a movie role where he's a drummer. They're moving pre-production to the States, New York in particular, so I can't, they're not going to bring me over. Uh, it's an indie film. Uh, so, do, do you teach? And I said, well, yes, I do, in fact. Um, and he told me it was Riz, and I knew him from The Night Of, sure. and, and a few other things. I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, we could talk about Totoro. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so Adam so graciously connected me with the producer uh, and director, and we chatted. He, he They had looked me up and... And for some reason, just saw some things of me on YouTube and like, that's the dude. I was like, okay. Um, but let's talk <laughs> like, yeah. to see if, if, if this makes sense. So I met with Darius Martyr, um, incredible writer, uh, you know, director. This was his first time doing doing all of it, really. Um, he had worked on A Place Beyond the Pines with Derek Sheehan France. Uh, and Derek had also started a doc called metalhead that was about jucifer i don't know if you know that band uh, no i know i know pucifer but that's uh... <laughs> a little bit yeah that's yeah. that's guns um <laughs> so yeah so jucifer they're known as the loudest band in the world is this duo and um so darius was working with derek on that um but that kind of eventually it i don't want to say fell to the wayside it, it, it never really materialized and then darius asked derek if if he could kind of pick up where that was going conceptually and kind of write a story about it because he had had family members who experienced profound hearing loss later in their lives. So that was a deeply personal thing for him. It took him 10 years to really write this thing and get it and get it made. Um, so I met with Darius. He gave me the initial script. Um, I read through that. And again, it was incredibly emotional. It, it was just brilliantly written. Um, and after that, I met with his brother, Abraham Martyr, who's a composer, uh, guitar player, multi-instrumentalist, who was going to be handling the, the music side of things. And we kind of chatted about bits of that. But um, yeah, I was in. And then the process from there was kind of just getting to know, you know, the, the structure overall of what pre-production was going to look like, when production was, what the timelines were. And I only really had one thing on the books, which was playing in a show in Berlin with Bill Laswell and Laurie Anderson. And I said, this is the boulder in the stream. I can yeah. do this. And they said, no problem. We're, we'll be wrapped way ahead of that. I said, cool. Um, so yeah, from there, at the time, Riz was working in and kind of getting to know another drummer named Sean Powell, who's an incredible drummer. He plays with a band called Surfboard. He's played with a, a ton of other bands through the years. Uh, and that was someone, Sean, I love him. Uh, he'd actually been through the recovery process. So this was, you know, when Riz kind of talks about our, the different roles we played, Sean was really the heart of that character. And all the tattoos you see Riz have, a lot of those are references of, of Sean's and, and things oh, right. like that. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, but Sean wasn't really a teacher. Uh, so I kind of came in to, to do those bits. Um, but yeah, so after that, I didn't know what to expect. It, eventually, me and Riz were going to meet. Um, and we rolling the dice, you know, like, I hope this is a very cool guy. Uh, sure, and, yeah. And <laughs> in fact, he, he was. But ahead of that, 
I just did some research um, about other drumming movies, and we've I've seen them all pretty mm-hmm. much. You know, it wasn't like Vision Quest where there's one high school wrestling movie, right? And <laughs> that's the only thing. Yeah. Right. So I looked at Whiplash, Miles Teller. Um, you know, he worked with Nate Lang, who was also in the movie, but Miles was already a drummer. So oh, okay. That that was the thing. Uh, funny coincidence. My cousin-in-law Ben Wilkins won an Oscar for best sound mixing ADR on that movie. Um, then there was The Big Short. There was that sequence. Uh, oh, Christian, Christian Bale, Bale. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was Scott Wittenberg. He was a, at uh, Musicians Institute. And that was only like two weeks <laughs> that, wow. that they worked together. But Christian Bale's a, a method actor. So he was going in in character a lot of times. And that I'm like, oh, is that what I'm going to be dealing with? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. No, um, thank you, sir. <laughs> no. Uh, or, but if I did, I already said yes. Yeah, <laughs> there, was, exactly. there was no, there was no coming out. Um, and then another one I loved was that thing you do with Tom Everett Scott. Um, that was Billy Ward. So just kind of looking at how, just looking for research of workflows and how they did it and, and what went on. And, um, but one day, Riz walked into my dingy practice space in Brooklyn, uh, which I share with Tucker Rule at, at the time. And oh. we sat down. Yeah. And, Love Tucker, yeah. The greatest. Um, he sat down out of the gate. First thing he said was, he goes, check it out. The last thing I want to do is, sh- you know, shit all over your art and craft. I, I want to, I'm going to put in the work. I want to do this as authentically and as hard as possible. And just know that. Um, and I said, great. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're, at, we're off to the races. Yeah. Um, so really after that, and we got along great, like Riz, you know, grew up in, in London and we loved all the same music that came out of the UK and are around the same age. So we really bonded over things like drum and bass and grime and, you know, and hip hop and, and all these things. Sure. Um, but from a project standpoint, from a workflow standpoint, I had to figure out a, a method and what I did you know, I had been working in tech consulting and in music tech and stuff for years. And I said, okay, I'm going to look at this like we're building a product or we're, we're going to ship something, right? Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of stuff that has to get done and there's a due date. Uh, and we got to figure out what happens <laughs> between start, you know, point A and, and, and point Z there. Uh, so I started by doing requirements gathering, you know, so... We went through the. I went through the script. I highlighted every scene where there was um, drumming, and I kind of cataloged it. And everything from where you see in that opening shot where he's tapping on Olivia uh, with the sticks to kind of wake her up, mm-hmm. um, to playing on the buckets at, at the deaf school, um, to the performing parts, even the part where you see them playing on the slide where he's tapping. We worked. We worked out a part for that. And wow. what. I wanted to do and what Riz wanted to do was not only not make this stuff look um, just kind of haphazard, little things like how you hold a drumstick. Like we would do things like this is how you break down a cymbal stand. This is how you carry a drum. All the little things that sure, when you go, absolutely. when you watch a drumming movie, you're like, Ugh, like, eh. like, so we focused on that. Uh, the art directors, you know, the art direction 
was incredible. If you saw all the bands, like all the minutia there with, with the shirt, you know, he's in a Youth of Today hoodie. He's, you know, there's elementary P9 stickers here. So we wanted to take it to that level with the playing. Um, so after that, you know, it was about getting a consensus of what the deliverable was. So what each one of those things should kind of look like and thinking, you know, talking to Darius and Abraham about what the blocking of the shots would look like, mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to see in my mind's eye what they thought that would look like on location and those things. Is this a continuous shot? Is this a two shot? I, I had worked in film a tiny bit. My aunt had had a, a production uh, company, so I had PA'd and kind of knew enough about this to, to talk about it. Um, so we got through that. And then it, you, you map the scope of work, right? So you say, these are all the things. The performance parts are going to take the longest uh, just because he has to look like he's playing drums. The other things, yeah, that might take a week. That might take a day. We'll get to it. But so I would write out Gantt charts. I don't know if you know what those are. Those I are don't. those kind of, they're, use them in project management for kind of blocking out time and how long you're going to spend. They just look like these bars. It's like a calendar, right? Um, I nerded out. But I was also like, I said I was going to do this. And Riz is all in. And this is, my name's going to be on this. <laughs> so let's, so let's, let's go. And it was really exciting because I was so emotionally invested in this thing. I, I just, it was so important. And I was taking it to that level and it just resonated with me. So I wanted to help produce the thing that I wanted to see and, and what it deserved to be. That, that's really what it was. Um, not to say that all the other drumming movies didn't do that, but it's it's all different, right? Um, and I also wanted to fix the things that I didn't like in other drumming movies to whatever degree. Amen that I to could. that. No, I I mean as drummers, I think we all have the specific music videos or specific movies we can think of where it's like it's so simple just to make him not hit a snare on one and three. Like, why is it such? <laughs> A freaking difficult thing. Um, yeah, and then also just not being authentic. You know, it's just it's. The, I have a disdain for musical movies, probably similar to similarly to you, for the reason that we just like, I get out of the world. I don't. I, I don't. Don't believe it. But the three that you mentioned were actually really good movies. Really um, good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's uh, Thomas Pridgen actually did this this thing for GQ, I think, where he went through and gave his take on all on all the drumming movies. Oh, I, and it's, I should check that out. It's super funny. It's really entertaining. Um, yeah, so after we, we got kind of through that and kind of scoped it out, and the one thing about the performance parts, like the songs, we were building the plane as we were flying it. So we were kind of writing the score. They had this rough demo of what this that first uh, piece would be, but we also had to build it around Riz's technical ability. Mm. And I basically said, I'll know how good he'll be in six months after one month, because that's sort of how learning curves kind of work. Sure. Um, yeah, there'll be some squish. It, it's never perfect, but um, so they were starting to work on, on that, and that was, uh, Abraham was working on that. So really the people who I was in touch with, you know, obviously Riz, and that was three days a week to begin with, two hours a day, and then that as we went on, it got to five days. Sometimes we were working it every day as, mm -hmm. as we got closer just to kind of really get the finishing grit on the thing. Um, but I really wanted to focus on three 
basic buckets outside of the, the idiomatic stuff, the, the deliverables, the things that we had to do. And, you know, my teaching studio, Reflex Labs, it, it focuses on these things. It's really not idiom idiomatic. And, you know, in our last conversation, you can, can kind of hear bits of my philosophy and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so it's technique, coordination, and conditioning. So one of the most important things for Riz's character and the type of drumming he was doing, it was going to be aggressive, right? It was going to be big. It had to look big. He had to be hitting um, to, to, really, to really work. Uh, so he couldn't hurt himself. That, <laughs> that would have been bad. And I think all of us know, all of us who have been on tour, um, if you get an injury, if you pop a blister, you know, second night, you, you better get that crazy glue out and it's, it's not going to be a fun three weeks, uh, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of getting through that. So conditioning was a big part of that. Riz was already doing two hours a day of ASL training, so American Sign Language. Uh, then he would do another hour or two of physical training. You saw the way he looked in that. He was he looked great. jacked. Yeah. yeah. And then he would show up with me completely exhausted, <laughs> and, and we would work for another two hours. And we actually had to flip that around sometimes just so he could, you know, kind of focus and, and play a little more effectively. Um, but yeah, so that's how we were kind of breaking it down. Uh, as you saw, Riz is a lefty, and that was a big executive decision we had to make early on if he was going to play open-handed or if we were going to do what I call the full Collins, uh, which, is, which is what we did, right? So he's playing a left-handed kit. Um, it's funny. He's one of those southpaws where he kicks righty, he boxes mm. righty, he writes lefty, and it was we experimented with it for a while, and then I said, nope. This is it. <laughs> we could go a million ways and it's just going to confuse your brain. Yeah. Um, but he was great. And so once we started doing that, getting comfortable, working a lot on grip. Grip is huge just from the actual technical application to the way it looks, right? How it's aesthetically going to translate on screen again so he doesn't hurt himself. Uh, basic coordination exercises, getting him working. We eventually got him on a double pedal. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you've heard stories from Chris, maybe here and there, about trying to navigate that because that's yep. its own that's its own universe. Let alone getting someone who had played for months, you know, to, to really to really get into or that years stuff. like me. I mean, I slept right. on a double pedal. I'm like, right uh, here goes nothing. Yeah. We had to. We actually, me and Abraham and and Riz, you know, I sent them. There's this video on YouTube that shows you every kind of blast beat. And okay. I was like, I've missed that one, unfortunately, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is the menu. This is really the only one that kind of makes sense. And, you know, but these are the conversations we were having where we wanted it to make sense sonically. And we were going to be shooting a lot uh, that was just continuous one take stuff. There was going to be some coverage, but we really, that, that opening scene was really supposed to be, and kind of wasn't a lot of ways. A lot of it was was this continuous thing not birdman <laughs> you know style yeah. with, with that but uh that was the goal hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell 
with 10 lugs, chrome over brass triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was gonna be or if it was gonna be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour. And I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so the way we worked Riz was on a lefty kit, acoustic kit. I was just to the right of him on a righty pad kit with silent cymbals, with L80s, right? Um, and then I had a screen, a monitor, that was right in front of him at eye level, right? That was kind of like in front of the, the kick drum. And I was running GrooveScribe. That's Mike Johnston's program where you can kind of author things. Him and Lou Montulli made that mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, so It's really user-friendly. Incredible. So I would just run, I would program it from my kit. I would have all these things set up, all these exercises and all these parts broken down and just feed it to him and then have the audio going through the PA. The cool part about that or teaching like that or teaching like that to anyone is that they can see the bouncing ball, right? They can see this notation, this visualization of the beat. They could hear it coming through the PA and then they could look to me and see what it looks like, the actual physical orchestration of it. But it's not this cacophonous thing where two drum sets are are playing and you can't talk over each other. And it's something I thought a lot about because for teaching for years, where it's just like, oh, this is, this doesn't work. This isn't good experience design, right? (laughs) right? So what it enabled me to do was when he's kind of circling through something, always hearing the rhythm, always hearing the full part, and then I could have him pull something out and just focus on two, you know, two-way coordination, then add something back in. I could physically get up off of my kit and manipulate his body, right? So if he's having, if he's struggling with a with a pedal orchestration like a foot uh, coordination, I could go down and move his foot right physically while the track is running and he's seeing the thing going and really encapsulate the whole thing in an efficient way um and it was great it worked uh, you know so that's how we kind of chunked out the parts mm-hmm. and while this was happening abraham would fly in new versions of of that one big piece which initially was like seven minutes long it got cut down to two minutes um 
but we had a, we had a seven minute version like and Riz was actually really upset because he had worked so hard on a bunch of these fills that we put together. They were really cool, and then they were gone. And he's like, "Ah, oh. it's like I, I felt so good. You did great, buddy. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're in the session with the producer, you work this thing out in the demo, and they're just like, nah, um, <laughs> that is absolutely not gonna.' Any other ideas? Uh... <laughs> that sounds great. Let's let's put a pin in that. We're gonna come <laughs> yeah, back, right? Exactly. Um, you go out to lunch, and Steve Ferroni's there, but." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was going to ask, not to cut you off, but uh, oh, yeah. if there were any sort of compromises you had to make, and let's see if I can word this correctly, because there's a difference between having perfect technique and what a, a, a drummer should be playing like, and then what people, and you did kind of mention this, but what looks good on screen, but is still believable to what a drummer would do. So w- what was the biggest, I guess, difference in how you would approach a drummer to like, this is how you should play aggressively to like, this will work, this will translate well. So this is interesting because if we were to use um, the band that we were referencing, Jucifer, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or any, a lot of these sludge metal, and, and again, it's, it's all over the place. Some people have incredible technique, you can do all these things, uh, but he, Ruben's character was not, was not a trained drummer, really. He was... You know, he could do all these different things. Like he was a producer, he made music. He, you know, he he would solder circuit boards and all these things. But he wasn't really trained. So I had to ride the line where it was like he can't look too good because yeah. then he's not. Then it doesn't suit. It's like we were talking about last time. Um, do what's appropriate. You know, we say play what feels good. We'll play what's appropriate, um, and hopefully in the end, that's what makes it feel good, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we were looking to do. There were certain things with the kit, like, yeah, the look where, and we talked about this a lot, you know, with art department and and things like that, he should have a 20 inch, if possible, it shouldn't be any bigger than 22. Riz isn't super tall, like, you shouldn't look dwarfed behind the kit. Um, The symbol should be at a certain height, but not too high where it obfuscates, uh, you know, the shot or or him. Mm -hmm. But you know how to ride on a on a crash symbol like it that had to happen so it had to get up there so those were the decisions that some of them you know we would just have a session where i would just bring bring the crash of the right up and down a few inches and we'd run it to see what it looked like and what it felt like um to to that level of minutiae but yeah there were really the 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 first part was just just get through it just Mm -hmm get this deliverable thing. And that was interesting because Darius and Abraham actually asked me if I wanted to write the parts for for that piece. And I told them, I'm like, that is not my bag, baby. Like I respect, I will. And we got in and we tried a couple of things and that's not my world and nor do I claim it to be. Uh, sure. It would have been efficient if it was, but uh, Abraham actually called uh, this incredible drummer, Harry Cantwell, he's out in the bay played in a lot of death metal bands and and stuff like that and him and margaret chartier uh pharmacon so margaret was working with olivia teaching her all the guitar and, and screaming stuff she was kind of like my counterpart in mm. black gammon which is the name of the band and they worked together t- to really write that song and and along with abraham to put this thing together so they did a session and we finally had a song in parts that I could reverse engineer and bring back. So then the bar was equally raised, but it was also 
it was easier because there was something there and yeah, we could totally. go, okay, you're never going to be able to play that still, but we could dumb this down into something cool. There's a form. Mm-hmm. And and that's where the rubber really hit the road and, and we started focusing and putting, so I just put that into Ableton, put a bunch of markers and we just loop sections like you would in any other rehearsal. We would, sure. Or, you know, marching drummers chunking. We were chunking and getting through that. So he'd learn the parts with Group Scribe and me and then run them like that. And then we would slowly start to take stems out. Um, so he, like, the drums would be gone. And then he would be hearing that. He was working with a click. That was very important. Um, so clicking cues. And, I, and those went through the end. I was kind of MDing. <laughs> you know, I was, I was the playback uh, engineer for that. And that was really efficient. And really where we got, you know, it was like seven months, give or take, all, all together. The last month, the band finally got in the room. And I have these incredible, this incredible phone footage at the sweatshop over here. You know, one of the, the sweatiest, dingiest uh, hourly rehearsal spaces in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And they're a band. They're just doing it. You know, we're, we're running the click. And both of them had ears. That was one thing. So here's another perfect example. These kinds of bands don't really run ears, but it was going to be impossible for them to really do this, uh, you know, from a performance standpoint and from an editing standpoint without a click and cue in, in their ears. So I remember being in on location uh, and talking to the director and the DP and a producer saying, okay, this... If the script supervisor is here, is is there confluence, right? Is, is this does this make sense? How do we feel about this? I looked at induction loop technology, right? That's the thing that broadcasters wear. It's like a, it's this little RF thing, but there's no wires. Like you you can't see anything. That wasn't going to work. So we just said, hey, this this is what's going to happen. But again, to your point about technique, about playing, there are aesthetic things that we really we're looking at but it wouldn't have happened any other way and it worked great so that last month we cranked those rehearsals out in brooklyn and then we went to location uh so just to zoom out for a second before that riz walked into one of our lessons and he's just got this look i'm like what's up and he's like um the schedule got pushed back I'm like, how much? He's like, it's when you're gone. Is we're going to be shooting principal photography, mm-hmm. and I saw him kind of because I was this blanky, and I was bummed because I was like, no, I'm, I got to Obi Wan this. Like this really, <laughs> this really needs to be. I want to be there. I kind of always envisioned it, but in that instant, I just said, it's cool. I got an idea. We're going to figure out. Just know you're going to be great. And as soon as that lesson ended, who did I call? Chris. The big fat, yep, the man. Uh, So I called Chris. I said, hey, dude, you're in Boston. We're shooting in Boston. I'm going to be out. Can we pass the parcel? And he's like, sure, sure, whatever, man. In true Chris fashion. (laughs) And and, uh, yeah, we just worked out a few things. I sent him the tunes. And in retrospect, the entire thing from soup to nuts would not have worked without Chris there because Chris is an incredible drummer. He is a tech, right? Mm-hmm. He knew how to run ears. He knew how to, 
he set up Olivia's guitar. He knew how to do all these things. Yep. Um, and again, yeah, so it, it was great. And so we, we landed in Linfield. That's where the production office was, and that's where we were doing a lot of things before they were shooting. And the other thing was we're shooting sequentially. So that means it's like doing your record in the order uh, of the track listing, right? Yeah. So all the shots you see, all that shooting happened uh, in, in order. So the first thing we really did was that shot was uh, that big scene, and that was at TT and the Bears, a.k.a. It's, now it's known as Sonia's. But mm. those two locations, it was TT's and the Middle East. All those oh. performance things, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Upstairs or downstairs? Both. There was. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'll see scenes like that where they're setting up the merch table. You know, all that stuff. I'll that, rewatch it, knowing that. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that. Like that scene is the most one of the most eerily familiar, like almost creepy, where you're setting up your merch merch booth and you just sound checked, and you're like, "Hey, man, how's the sound up there?" You're like, "It's fine." <laughs> <laughs> That's a nightly conversation. Yes. Yeah. Chris and I. We also wound up working with the art department up there because they had that airstream and it was full of all this gear that were was basically like boat anchors because it was like ADATs and old boards and things like that. But it had to light up. It had to look like it was working. So me and Chris spent a couple days hooking up iPods <laughs> you know, to get to get VU meters to, to move and, and things yeah. like that. Again, we, we had a blast. Uh, a lot of trips to Guitar Center to buy a lot of silly things. <laughs> but um yeah and so i had to fly away and i was in berlin when they were shooting so i'm six seven hours ahead and i'm just texting chris and abraham being like how's it going and everyone's like it's good everything's working that this made sense uh and i was like okay cool and i remember i did our, we did our first set and it's set break i called and I was just like, what is going on? Because that would have been in, in the midst of it. And everyone was just like, they they just crushed it. They really, they really did it. And I was so grateful. <laughs> and, you know, again, I wished I could have been there. But mm-hmm. having Chris there was, you know, he was my security blanket at, at that point. I, I trusted yeah. that he would take it across the finish line. And he did. But, um, you know, it was funny because we, we advanced that show, like, to the Middle East, like you advance a show. I sent an input list and a stage plot and everything but a hospitality writer, you know. Yeah. Um, and that that was kind of fun. That was kind of fun to do. But the kit itself, that was Emily Smith uh, from. She was at Zildjian at the time. Mm-hmm. That was her her brother's kit because we were looking with the art department at what should this be? Should this be a beat up old? beater with stickers all over it should it be you know we looked at wooden weather like they had these vintage kits and i was like i don't know if that's aesthetically the thing and emily sent me a picture of this kit and it was like a white tama looked like an art star um and one of ruben's biggest influences was lars and i just said that is that is that is it like (laughs) that's what we're doing and we got a bunch of big old symbols um but yeah, that was another big part of it. That like making sure we were being true to the character, being true to his story, aesthetically true to all those things. And I remember seeing one review, I think it was in it wasn't in Metal Hammer, but but one of another brand facsimile. And they were they were in. And that was the thing I was the most terrified about, right? <laughs> it was like we, we really 
we're looking for this authenticity and it and it got over i don't say it got we got over it it landed Mm -hmm. um but yeah so that that was really it and then it went everything it went into editing for years and went into post-production uh and then the pandemic happened Mm. uh and that was crazy right you want we wanted a theatrical debut that was difficult we did it at drive-ins which was which was the kind of the stopgap. yeah but the bonus of having amazon distribute your mute your movie is that you're on amazon prime video which was very conducive at the end of the day to a pandemic and everyone being at home and i don't want to say that it wouldn't have been as successful if that wasn't the case because i really believe it hits it would have hit an art house theater in the same way it, it, it did streaming. But to see the response was, was just unbelievable. And all my friends, I don't know if, if you were one of the people who they had to watch it in, in sections because it was so emotionally draining. And it's like a horror film for, for drummers, the, the first 30 minutes. Yep, that's how I would describe it for sure. Yeah, but... um. That's that's kind of the story there. I don't know if you had any other questions in regards to any of the, the bits and no, bobs. No, I just I just remember Chris. Not that he was downplaying it, but I mean, you know, Chris. He's just sure. he was like, I worked on this thing. I think it's going to turn out rad. And it was kind of a. <laughs> he didn't really, you know, he didn't talk it up. He wasn't blowing smoke sure. up, up his own ass. And so me and me and my girlfriend were like, well, let's watch it. It came out, you know. And I knew I knew you were involved. And I was like, I have mm-hmm. to watch it. And within the first ten minutes, I was like, oh, this is a good movie. Like they actually <laughs> really gave a shit and. I didn't go in with low expectations, but I, I, I went in with no expectations. I was like, I sure. want to support my buddies. Yep. And I was like, oh, no, this is a, an amazing movie. And so uh, you did a great job because he was Thank so believable, man. Thank you. That was, you know, I think my favorite part is that opening sequence. And they, they turned it into part of the trailer where you see him do that big cymbal crash. Yep. And it's this beautiful high molar whip, right? You see it come <laughs> yeah, from yeah. his elbow and you see it come down. And I was like, mm, that looks good. Like, and, and again, that was the idea to, to get the physicality, the emotion, um, all of that working. And there were parts where you could see he's not a great drummer. He's not supposed to be a great drummer. Mm. That wasn't, this isn't whiplash. We're not going for Buddy Rich, but it all translated in the end. Um, but man, I'm, I'm so happy you liked it. I'm obviously thrilled at how it was received overall. And now I just have to wait for more drumming movies uh, to be made so I can get called again because it is a hoot sure. <laughs> to, to work on that stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the way I would describe something like that, it's like a good set designer. If it doesn't pull you away, like if you don't notice it, they're doing a good job. I didn't notice that he wasn't a drummer. I was right. just like, oh, he's a drummer in the movie. I believe it. And so that means, yeah, if they don't know you had to exist, that means you did a great job. Oh, th- thank you. That's and that was the goal. That was yeah. the whole. If I'm invisible, it's like there's producers who come in and have a sound, right? Mm-hmm. And you sound your band kind of has that that fingerprint on it. And then there's the ones who just make you sound more like you. And yep. that that was really my goal there. Um, and again, to fix all the little things that might be tells or, or take you out, right? Take you out of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, yeah. So I got a call, Risley Bear. It's been a minute. We've, you know, <laughs> he's been, there. He's, it's my guy. Um, That's awesome. He's, he's very busy, as you can see. You see him all over the place. But, uh, um, yeah, we got to get together and play at some point. He'll, he'll never call himself a drummer, but he is a drummer. And he's, he's a very good one, on top of all the other things that he is incredibly good at. <laughs> but, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to end it, man. Um, Excellent. I don't even know if this is going to be a bonus episode. I think I think this this could just be. I'm not going to promote it as one. I think this will just be something that people would want to hear. So, there we go. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.